Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Tuesday, August the 30th, 2016. And this is episode 1860 of the Survival Podcast, and it's a Just Jack show. Because it is a Tuesday, and that's what we do on Tuesdays. We take an individual subject, and uh, the subjects are now ones that you vote on. And I made a faux pas or a mistake or an error or something like that. I don't know. It's not a big deal, but uh, it's actually a happy one for me. You see, last month, I really wanted to do a show for you guys this month on Airsoft uh, for uh, fun and family training and uh, for family fun and training. And it had narrowly missed the month before and I thought well I'll give it another month and it caught it narrowly missed again well it turned out there's five Tuesdays in August and when I set the poll up I set it up with that knowledge and the right amount of choices and everything but when I looked at the scores and said well what am I going to be talking about this month in my head I was thinking four Tuesdays in the month and it turns out that Airsoft made it by a nose hair so that means it's the last one this month and that means I'm going to talk about it today that also means The, the, the voting for next month, it's all up in the air for the next two days because you can still vote on the September shows because Airsoft is in the top five or four or whatever it is uh, there right now, and it's going to be thrown out because obviously we're not going to do it twice in a row. So get out and vote. Your vote does count, and I will try to get the October voting up for you guys um, early in September, and I'll tell you right now, there's going to be a few misses in October because I'm going on to vacation for a full week, and we have the uh, the workshop that I'll mention real brief today, a little announcement on that. But anyway, what are we going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about the reason people dislike Airsoft, why it has such a bad stigma, and why that stigma is not even deserved uh, by the people who have earned it, I guess you'd say, or who, who have caused it, but why it's irrelevant anyway, why people should love Airsoft and, and what it can do for us. The basics of airsoft guns, understanding the nomenclature, what are they, what, what are the different options, and what should you be looking for if you're going to invest in airsoft for your own uh, fun and training. I'm going to talk about pellets. Yes, the pellets actually matter. There's actually a, a pretty scientific component there when you look at the pellet. It is the terminal tackle, so to speak. I'll tell you about um, five guns that I particularly own and like. What I'm still waiting to show up for. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you why I like them. And, and really, I won't go deep into technical specs on them or anything like that because this is an audio show and that's much more of a visual thing. But I think it'll give you an idea of the versatility that you have when it comes to training. Um, I'm going to talk about getting started. Like if you said, okay, I want to do this, like what are the, what's the basic pathways to, to getting started with not only getting airsoft equipment, but using it for training versus running around in the woods and shooting at each other and uh, and playing games with them. I'm going to talk about some training ideas and some target ideas. And I'm going to close with why I think this is actually a great thing for the Second Amendment, even though, at least for now, our politicians are, out are not out trying to ban airsoft guns. Like some local ones are, by the way, but uh, at the national level, there's no talk of banning airsoft guns or anything like that. Though, I will tell you that in some countries, airsoft guns are illegal. If they're over a certain power, or in some countries they're illegal, period. There's actually a, a kid in China who was 18 or 19 years old that was sent to prison for life under weapons trafficking. 
because he ordered uh, airsoft guns from Taiwan that he had shipped to his house, therefore using the mail and over a certain number of them, because they were over a certain amount of joules, which is like when you think of uh, foot-pounds of energy, it's a much smaller number when you look at joules. Uh, basically, they qualified as guns instead of toys. And uh, under Chinese law, since it was weapons trafficking of guns, he went to prison for life. So that just tells you the extreme that can happen in the minds of governments and states, and our state is not immune to stupidity. And I'll talk about why I think that the responsible, safe use and effective use of airsoft guns can actually be a good thing for the Second Amendment and gun rights as a whole, and the popularity of guns and firearms in America, even though today we're not talking about firearms in particular. Before that, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Guys, you know, prepping involves evaluating your primary survival needs of food, water, shelter, security, and energy, and then shoring them up. That's really the most simple way to understand it in a nutshell. In that effort, ready-made resources is the go-to place to get that done. Everything, and I do mean everything for your prepping needs. Ready-made, ready to go at readymaderesources.com. Hey guys, why don't you show off your survival podcast pride by shopping at tspgear.com where we have awesome tools like the Pocket Shot Slingshot and the TSP Edition of the Genesis Knife by MT Knives, along with shirts, patches, and more. Learn more at tspgear.com. And before we dive into the topic now, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. Every episode, Alex Shrugged has some segments for us at TSP Wiki, the, the History Wiki. Survival Wiki, Self-Sufficiency Wiki, you name it, we've got it. Uh, everything in the Prepper community, including that historical look, is available at tspwiki.com. And guys, I want to point out, a wiki means anybody can edit it if you have an account. And that means you can get over there and you can edit articles, you can add articles, uh, you can contribute to articles. And if you're like, I don't know how to do that, we have training videos for you. Uh, check it out. It is an encyclopedia of all things prepared to self-sufficiency and sustainability and history. Today we have, in the year 1860, cry havoc, Lincoln wins a smaller union. We have Folgers in your cup, and we have a bird's eye on invention. And in other news, Milton Bradley's The Game of Life is released, linoleum is invented, and Will Keith Kellogg is born in Battle Creek, Michigan. His brother John will invent cornflakes as a hell food in 1894, and Will will set up the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company to sell it. And one of the nation's wealthiest families it comes into existence after that. I'm going to read Cry Havoc, Lincoln Wins a Smaller Union. With the slogan, free labor, free land, free men, Abraham Lincoln becomes the first Republican to win the presidency. Voter turnout is 81.2%, the second largest turnout in history. It is a clear victory for the anti-slavery vote. Lincoln had three opponents, but if you combine all the electrical votes, Lincoln still wins. Seven states threaten to leave the Union before Lincoln can take office. Since Inauguration Day is May, March 4th, 1861, there's still time to pull everyone back from the brink. We already know how that's going to turn out. South Carolina begins the break this year. Calls for Lincoln to take the role of Commander-in-Chief before taking office will go unheeded. Lincoln is about compromise, so he will quietly support the Corwin Amendment to the Constitution that would, amongst other things, protect slavery from being abolished in the current slave states forever. The Senate will pass the amendment before Inauguration Day and send it out to the states for ratification. It will be unsuccessful. The wheels are coming off the little wagon train, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. My take by Alex Shrugged. No one wants to hear this, but Lincoln was perfectly willing to leave every slave in torment and to death if that's what it would preserve the Union. 
He didn't like slavery, and he ran out on a platform to limit slavery and call it bad, but not to abolish slavery. Here's a relevant passage from Abraham Lincoln's inaugural address of 1861. Apprehension seems to exist among the people of the southern states that by the accession of the Republican administration, their property and their peace and personal security are to be endangered. There has never been any reasonable cause for such apprehension. Indeed, the most ample evidence to the contrary has all the while existed and been open to their inspection. It is found ne nearly in all published speeches of him who now addresses you. I do but quote from one of those speeches when I declare, quote, I have no purpose directly, indirectly to interfere with the institution of slavery in the United States where it exists. I believe I have no lawful right to do so and I have no inclination to do so, end quote. So was Lincoln pro or anti-slavery? I think, well, Lincoln was definitely pro-state. The, the preservation of the Union itself was more important to him than life, liberty, anything else. Lincoln was a statist. I think Lincoln actually was very much an abolitionist. I also believe he was on some, some levels, not all levels, because he clearly didn't completely follow things this way, but on some levels a constitutionalist. And believe that the, the President of the United States is not the one who is going to just declare an end to an institution that was actually protected by its own constitution at that point. That if the people of this nation were to ever end slavery, it would have to be done by the people themselves. They would have to choose it. And I think he was hoping that this nation would follow that path. And I think the nation was on that path. I think the institution of slavery was a dying institution. I don't, I don't think there would have been, without a civil war, I don't think there would have been a, a, a slave in the United States by the year 1880-1885 on the outside of it. Now, I'm not saying we should have not fought a war over it. I mean, plenty of people were freed. Uh, they may have died as slaves because of it. But what, what was the real cost? And I think Lincoln was pragmatic and believed that that, that, that was the, the progression, that at that point, that it would have been better to let the institution itself die rather than to let, you know, millions of Americans turn guns on each other and kill each other. My take by Jack Spierko. I don't have any real modern corollaries for it for you today. Just, uh, it is important that whenever we hear that Lincoln was this, uh, this grand slave, uh, savior to, uh, to the slaves of this country, he was not. There were men who would have been. There were men who, who fought for office. We never hear of them. But there were people who believed that slavery simply needed to go away, period, the end, infinity. Um, but the, such men were not the ones that were able to be elected to the highest offices in the land in general. All right, with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. I'm really excited to uh, be able to talk to you guys about this subject today because I do think there is a definite dislike of airsoft. Some of some friends that I have that are, you know, really tactically minded um, have a very clear animosity almost toward airsoft. And I I I just don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, I do get what they're thinking, but I don't get why they're thinking it. Uh, I've talked to a lot of them and tried to kind of win them over and the only way I've ever found to do it is put a really high quality airsoft gun in their hand and Let them shoot some steel. That usually is the best way to do it. Um, one in particular is a great friend um, who has his designs one day on running a tactical school, uh, but it's extremely expensive to do you know that type of thing with live fire ammunition and things like that uh, from the insurance perspective and what have you. And I had pointed out to him many years ago, 
uh, probably five years ago now, that he could have a school up and running using replica airsoft guns uh, in, in a week with the infrastructure he currently has, and he didn't want to do it. Uh, so I've seen it at all levels, and it's. It, it, and I'll explain to you why. Well, first of all, his mentality is it's just a toy. It's just a toy. Well, a lot of things are just toys, right? I mean, I, if if you look at a lot of things that preppers have uh, have an affinity for, for instance, slingshots. And an, a slingshot is a toy, but there's really great, high quality slingshots. That there's there's slingshots that people have used to kill deer with, uh huh, and some of them are toys. That's how, I, that's how I look at airsoft guns. There's some extremely high-quality, um, true-to-form, great training tools in the airsoft world, and then there's complete piece of junk toys, and there's everything in between. I, I think the bigger problem people have is with the gamers. Because of the way that airsoft games are played and what it looks like to the people that, that don't get involved with them, and I'm not an involved person, but I can look past my prejudice, I guess is the way to put it, and actually see what's really going on. They see all of these kids and, and adults dressed up in camouflage and a whole bunch of battle gear, you know, load-bearing equipment, rucksacks, and these uh, these electric machine guns, basically, that shoot plastic pellets, running around in the woods shooting at each other with all types of military sim equipment. And it looks like it's just a big game. It also looks to them like the people playing the game think that it's more than a game that the players think they're being like real soldiers or, or something like that. They don't think that. They wear camouflage and tactical equipment because it fits the game that they're playing. right? And, and the truth is, a lot of people that feel this way about airsoft are people in my age bracket, kind of people that are like 35 to 55 that, that are gun people, are the ones with this kind of animosity. And you know what, guys? It's because we didn't grow up with airsoft guns. We grew up running around the woods shooting guns that didn't shoot anything at each other. Maybe we had a Nerf gun or something like that. But we had, you know, when I was a kid, I remember in Florida when I was like, you know, I'm talking like 10, 11, 12 years old, there was a big swamp and a bunch of woods around the apartment complex and the kids would get together and we'd play guns. That was the name of the game. We just called it guns. We'd break up into teams and when you saw somebody, you said bang. And if you got the drop on them, they had to count to 10 before they could run again. Guys, if we would have grown up, and they would have had airsoft guns in the 70s and 80s. We would have all used them growing up. But we didn't. It's this next generation that's more into them. So I, I think that we have this disconnect and this, this, this concept that we think we look at these guys that are, you know, dressed up and doing Milsim games or, uh, CQB games or something like that. And we think that they think, well, they're like, uh, John Rambo or something like that. No, they don't. They know exactly what they're doing. There's, there's no ego among those guys. In fact, gaming will actually bring your friggin' ego down because all of those guys get killed all the time. That's that's kind of the whole point. You don't run, you don't hide, you, you engage. And I think that's another reason people have a stigma for for airsoft guns because they see that as this like fearless engagement that these guys have. They don't you don't worry about getting shot. Or they watch. I've watched some of the simul, you know, the 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 mill sim stuff and all. And I see these guys running around in the woods and he's got you got like uh, they have like scope cameras on like, like gopros and you can see the guy shooting at them and they're missing and all and they're not that far away and you're thinking if i had a if i had a ruger 1022 every single one of those people would be dead in, in about you know 13 seconds and, and they're you know being missed with these pellets it's not real well, they know that they're playing to the limits of their equipment and and i'm not into it i'm just saying like it's not reasonable for us to throw out a whole 
a whole thing, a whole concept, a very valid tool because of a misconception about people that aren't the people you think they are in some instances. Um, and next is it's not realistic, and that kind of ties into it. But I think that also comes with like the rate of fire. People see the electric ones, and a magazine can hold 275 rounds or 300 rounds, and it fires at a rate of fire that's, that's higher than the rate of fire of an actual automatic weapon. Okay, that's one tool that's available, and you only have that if you choose to use it that way. And that's, again, that's a gamer's tool. That's not a training weapon, and we'll talk about the difference between them in a minute, but just because that exists doesn't mean that everything's like that. I guess another way to put it would be there's a lot of hippies that like Volkswagens, and you may not like hippies, but that doesn't mean you don't like, they don't think that Volkswagens are a valid vehicle, because cars are cars, and Volkswagen makes great cars, and some hippies drive Volkswagens, and it just, if, if hippies happen to have a preponderance of uh, affection, For Volkswagens, doesn't mean we throw the Volkswagen away if we don't like hippie culture. By the way, I consider myself a hippie with guns. Right? I'm a modern hippie, a militant hippie. <laughs> anyway, so I just think those are all non-starters, but I think that's what's in people's heads when they go, ah, ah, ah. Let me tell you why I think people should love Airsoft, if they're gun owners. First and foremost is cheap practice. And I want to point out, I'm not going to go deep into it now because I'm going to talk later in the show about some methods of practice. This does not mean taking a plastic gun, setting some beer cans up, and just sitting on the porch and shooting them. I'm talking about real, valid practice. It's more than just the trigger time and the muscle memory, though those are very, very key to it. But along with cheap practice, it's the ability to practice every day. Um, some of you are lucky, and you live in a place like I used to in Arkansas, And you can walk out your back door and shoot your actual guns anytime you want. I would reckon 90% or more of this audience is not that. But even if you can, there's a limit to how much people can spend on ammunition. 22 isn't even as affordable or available as it used to be anymore. And with reloading, that's great and all, but you also have to take the time to reload. And reloading still, I mean, when, if you're looking at 9mm or something like that, you're still looking at a significant cost per, let's say, 100 rounds. And I'll go out on any given day and shoot 100 or 200 rounds of, of Airsoft BBs, and I'm at, with, with gas and all, I'm out less than a dollar. So that means not only do I have the logistical ability now to practice every day, but I have the financial ability to practice every day. And this takes developing your skill set with firearms to an entirely new level. Because you will never be as good at something as you could be if you don't do it every day or multiple times a week. Just think of any other skill. Let's, let's look at it this way. If you're a pretty good pool player, right, and you were a great pool player back in the day, and you were better than somebody that, let's say, owns a pool table that plays pool every single day because it's in his house, you know, Don't you think it's going to be likely that at least at first you would lose to that person until you kind of brought your skills back up to par? Because they have the, they have this continuous engagement with the game, and you don't anymore. Well, see, the thing about firearms, if you ever do rely on them for life-and-death situations, you don't get a warm-up game. You don't get a warm-up game. You get two or three seconds, and it's between life and death. So by being able to practice every day you develop that memory so that when you don't get a warm-up game, you're able to move straight into action. 
The other thing is it gives you realistic practice in, in ways that you've never even probably thought of doing with um, your real guns. Or you've thought of it, but you can't do it. It's not practical. And I'm not talking about shooting at each other. I do think that there is a place with airsoft training for shooting at other people and, and not necessarily being gaming. But some of the CQB stuff in some of the indoor realms that those guys do can be pretty, pretty realistic. Uh, I think what makes it unrealistic is 20 guys on two teams of 10 running around shooting at each other. The, the reason that's unrealistic is it's just not likely for you to have to deal with. See, that's, that's what I think is valid here with this type of ability to practice. Because even if you go take tactical training, and I mean, you know, guys like Frank Sharp and James Jaeger, they do a great job, or the places that really take it up a notch, like Front Sight uh, or Gun Sight, like, great. But how practical is that for the guy that says, you know, what I'm worried about is making sure when I'm out with my two kids and my wife, if somebody attacks us in a parking lot and I have to use my gun, I'm going to use it right. He's not clearing buildings. He's not working with another player, creating a cross-connecting you know, cross fire. Uh, you know, that's just not how civilians end up using a weapon to defend themselves. So the practice can be realistic because in some ways it can actually be more tactical, if you want to use that word, and I'll explain in a bit what I mean by how it could be more, but it also could be more to the point. It's more realistic. And because you can set up and do it every day yourself, you actually get it done. So before I get into how to practice and how to get started, I want to start with The basics of airsoft guns, what are they? And again, I'm not going to go deep into technical specs, but I want you to at least understand what you're looking at. So if you're deciding to pick up a gun for yourself to do some training with, you can, you can pick up the right thing. So first off, the cheapest thing that's out there, and that doesn't mean they're all complete junk. They do have a purpose, but you call, they call them springers or spring guns. And Actually, some of the more expensive rifles are Springers, and I'll talk about those in a second. But with handguns, they're all inexpensive guns. All the Springers are inexpensive guns. The spring-based handguns are all kind of a cock-shoot, cock-shoot type of mentality. So, for instance, there's a lot of them that are look like M9 Berettas uh, or 1911s or Tauruses and things like that that you would rack the slide to, to chamber around in the real gun. Well, they have a magazine that slaps into the, the, the pistol grip just like a real gun has with a, usually the magazine relief right, right, right where it would be in the, in the regular thing. They've got safeties or double actions or whatever it is. They, they have all those things going for them, uh, except that when you pull the trigger, you then have to rack the gun again to recock it. You can get really cheap ones for like 10 bucks or less. They're re those are the junk. Most of the spring pistols that are somewhere between 15 and 30 bucks are surprisingly good little guns for what they are. They are usually all plastic except with metal interiors. They usually have a metal barrel, but the, the, the body itself is plastic, etc. And um, they feel kind of light, but they usually have a weighted magazine. And once that magazine is loaded into them, they don't, they're not the same weight, but they have, they have weight to them. They feel like you're handling something a little bit more substantial. They do allow you to practice. Since they are generally clones of whatever make and model they are, they will fit generally your holster. So if you have a 1911 you carry and you have a holster for it, and you have a 1911 Colt spring air gun you paid 18 bucks for, it will go in that holster. Which means you can do what I call draw, shoot, and return uh, practice, which is a slow, 
deliberate practice. You draw your weapon, you bear down on the target, you fire a single shot, and you, you render the weapon safe. This is better with the higher quality guns, but with this, you might actually go ahead and cock it, put it on safe, put it back in your holster, and do it again. You do this relatively slowly at first. And they're great for that because one of the temptations you're going to have when you move into the better guns is when you pull that first shot and you miss it, you'll do a follow-up shot right away to make yourself feel better. Well, this is real-time feedback. You're not supposed to feel better about failing. You're supposed to go, oh, I, I, I messed that up. So that's like kind of the best thing about spring guns. I guess the other thing is, if you're listening to this and going, I don't know, Jack, well, you can get started for you know a pack of pellets and a $15 to $18 gun, and you could just set up some beer cans you know, 20 feet away and shoot a little bit and, and, and get a feel for what it's like. And, you know, they're good for training kids because kids can't go start spraying all over the place with them and all. So they're, they're okay. And, and I've, I've shot them for years, and they're very useful to take new people and hand them a gun and get them familiar with gun safety and things like that. And they're surprisingly powerful, and they're surprisingly accurate. Most of the spring guns actually on a pinpoint basis are more accurate than much more expensive gas guns, except... You know, they have that slower rate of fire, and they generally wear out after about a year or something like that. But again, you're talking about $15, $20 guns. Those are Springers. When it comes to rifles, though, um, some of the Spring sniper rifles are rifles that with the right pellets and equipment, some of these guys that are gamers are making hits at like 75, 100 yards with an airsoft gun. Yes, absolutely. And I've seen spring air pistols. I've We've played around with them, and I can generally hit a person at 50 yards with a spring air pistol. And it's a, it's a harder shot. It's not impossible. It's a harder shot with a gas pistol. They just have a little bit more oomph to them, right, especially with heavier pellets. Some guys that game actually use a spring air pistol as an impromptu sniper gun because it's lightweight. You can throw it on your op, you know, your, your your weak side hip or whatever, and you've got longer shots. You can, you know, if you're not being pinned down, you can can switch to it. I know that's not very realistic. I'm just trying to give you an idea of the technology. So, the sniper rifles are usually either gas or spring. They're not not usually if they're dedicated what we call an AEG. All right. So now moving on, AEG, what the hell is that? Automatic electric gun. These are the ones you see the guys gaming with, and you hear like that. It's a little gearbox in there, and it's just screaming those pellets out. Um, those are not something I'm going to spend much time on today because I don't think if you want practical training, they're very useful. Their rate of fire is ridiculous. They are nowhere near as accurate as most of the good quality gas guns or a good quality single-shot spring gun. Um, they are a gamer's tool. They get into, you can get into a lot of money with modifying them. And when they break, they can be expensive to fix. They have more things that can break in them that go wrong with the gearing boxes because they're designed to run at high rates of speed. If you're a gamer, I have nothing, I've done a pretty good job of defending you guys. I'm not putting down your equipment. I'm just saying that it's not the equipment that I recommend for somebody that wants to go in their backyard, even if they want an AR clone, even if they want an AK clone. It's not what I recommend for practical training because it is, you know, a 300 round magazine with a, with a computerized zipper flinging those things out. Um, they're very good for what they're designed to do. When we move on from AEG, we go to gas. So we only really have three methods of getting the pellet out of the gun spring, 
electric, and gas. Oh, real quick on the electric. There are some automatic electric handguns. So you like they have a battery or what have you, and, you, and they zip, 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 shoot pellets. And some of them, you know, it's, they have a semi-setting. Most AEGs have a semi-setting, rifles and handguns. So you can get one and zip, 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 zip it, and there's some cheap ones. The problem with all the pistols I've ever seen that are AEGs is that when you when you shoot them, there's literally a lag between the time you pull the trigger and they shoot. So they're not a good training tool because it's not realistic. And where the Springers and the AEGs fail is no simulated recoil whatsoever. So it's not a very re realistic shooting experience if you're trying to train your mind and your body to function and muscle memory to function shooting an actual firearm. So we get the gas. We have two kinds of gas. We have blowback and non-blowback. Most, in fact, almost every non-blowback gun I can think of, I've never seen any um, non-blowback that was a green gas gun. They're almost all CO2. Okay, I do believe there are CO2 blowbacks and CO2 non-blowbacks. But every, what we call a green gas gun I've ever seen, is a blowback. So what does that mean? It means exactly what it sounds like. A non-blowback uses CO2 gas to shoot its pellets. Um, but the slide doesn't move. It just shoots pap, 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 pap. An internal mechanism feeds BBs from the magazine and, and projects them forward. For training, they're okay. They're, they're better than Springer's. They're better than AEG's for training, but I don't like I would never recommend them because there's good green gas guns or blowback CO2s that are better and don't cost that much more. Okay? So... And I, I believe most CO2s are not blowback, by the way. I think there's only a handful. But I, I really haven't dug into it because I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't recommend CO2. One issue with CO2 for the gaming crowd that I understand is that many of the CO2 uh, pistols shoot at such high rates of speed, they're not legal for play. So in different situations, close quarters, field, etc., these gamers have different rules as to how fast you can shoot, how heavy of a pellet to be in the game, because it's not it's not an idea to go out there and hurt each other. And these things can hurt you. I mean, depending on some of these guns, they, they can go break skin, embed themselves in the bodies, etc. So there's rules to prevent that from happening in safety gear. But we'll leave that to the gamers. When it comes to CO2 versus green gas, my biggest reasoning, beyond just the fact that all green gases are blowbacks, is it's cheaper. It's not cheaper to buy, but it's cheaper to run. I don't look at the cost of purchase. I look at the cost of ownership in everything that I do. So green gas guns use a product called green gas, and you charge up the magazine uh, with a bottle and a little needle on it, and you push it down, and that charges up the magazine. You load your pellets into it. You put it into your gun, and you fire it. And when you do that, you get a response. You get the, the pellet comes out, and the action, depending on what kind of gun it is, functions. And it functions just like a real gun, other than it's, Not a real gun. So please tamper every time I say, just like a real gun, I, I, I don't mean it shoots a bullet, right? I don't mean that it burns gunpowder. I don't mean that it kicks at the same recoil lever. I'm saying, level, I'm saying the basic functionality is the same functionality of an equivalent firearm. So what is green gas? Green gas is propane. Green gas is propane with silicon oil added to it. And some modifiers so that it doesn't smell like propane and, and smell bad. That's that's all that it is. So they also make propane adapters, and that's what I recommend. I recommend for if you want serious training capability, you find an appropriate gas blowback gun. 
You get a propane adapter, and I'll talk about all this in a second, and how to make good purchasing decisions. You can use all this stuff and get a good propane adapter, and you get the one-pound propane cans. You get, like, two of them for, like, seven, eight bucks at, at a Walmart store, and you get a lot of shooting out of those two cans. And, of course, they do make a little adapter that allows you to use a 20-pound can to refill one-pound cans. And there's a good case for that because one downside to this is when those propane cans, this is true of green gas cans too, get down to that, like there's still some in there, they have a less pressure and they don't do as good a job of charging up your magazines anymore. So if you can refill your one-pound cans, you're one step ahead of the game, and it's cheaper to buy propane in bulk and get your cans filled at like Tractor Supply or the feed store or whatever, Agway, uh U-Haul usually does it, what have you. So that's another option there. Um, and most of us that are uh, in the prepping mindset, we're going to have propane around anyway, one way or another. Propane and propane products, right? <laughs> I have to do it. Now you listen to me, mister. I work for a living. And I mean real work, not writing down gobbledygook. I provide the people of this community with propane and propane accessories. All right, a little bit of pop culture humor thrown in today, even though it's not a Friday. But, uh, yeah, propane is something we generally have around anyway. So if we go out and purchase um, you know, a, a dozen one-pound cans of propane and we're using it for our airsoft guns, it's also there on the shelf if we need it for heating or for other uses. So it's definitely the better way to go as far as I'm concerned. I personally feel the reason they called green gas green gas in the first place was to make people think it was a better alternative to propane because it was good for the environment. It was green. Um, yeah, it's it's propane. There's another product called red gas, which is supposed to be more powerful. Uh, it's not sold as, as frequently. It's a little harder to find. Some people say they're making it legal in some states. It's bullshit. It's just another form. If there's anything that would make it more powerful, it would simply be that it was uh, – maybe uh, compressed a little bit heavier into its container. So um, in general, propane will shoot harder than green gas just because of that very reason, at least for like the first half of the, of the can. Uh, it's certainly more affordable, and green gas has to be bought from specialty stores uh, where propane can be bought anywhere. Every department store out there sells a little one-pound cans for like your big buddy heater and things like that. So if you, if you seriously want to train, go with gas blowback. Forget the CO2, because you're buying cartridges. Most of them aren't blowback, uh, et cetera. Uh, go green gas. And definitely you're going to have to uh, pick up for your propane, a uh, for your adapter, you're also going to get some silicone oil. And I'll talk about that in a bit. But you, that's the other big difference is green gas has silicone oil in it to lubricate your gun, where propane is a dry gas. Pellets. Let's talk about pellets for a minute, because, yes, they do matter. For, for First of all, if you go down to... Uh, your local Walmart or other to you know store with a sporting goods and toy area in it, and they have airsoft guns, you'll probably see big bags or big bottles full of yellow pellets that are .12 grain. Just forget they exist. They have no function, no purpose, no validity whatsoever. Um, they're poorly made. They damage guns. They're too light, and they never shoot as good as anything else that's out there, and they're not that much cheaper. So just forget they exist until you see them and then say, oh, yes, those are the ones I'm not supposed to let near even my $20 spring gun. They're just junk. Because even out of the guns that you don't care if they break, they're so light that if they're shot any kind of reasonable velocity, they have very little control and they're not accurate. I've shot them out of $20 spring guns that a .2 grain BB, you can hit a bottle cap. Yes, a bottle cap. 
at like 20 feet with, and you're lucky to hit anything worth a damn with the yellow pellets. So just forget about them. They're useless. The most common pellet, and you usually can get these at your Walmarts and box stores, are .20, and they're kind of the industry standard. Usually when you see, if it's a reputable company, somebody stating the, the feet per second uh, of their gun or the performance of their gun, they're basing it on .2 grain BBs, okay? .2 grains. It, it is interesting to just realize how much difference there is. Go to a store and find point, because you can usually find .12 and .2, and find like you know 5,000 of each and pick them up and notice the difference. It's a significant difference. You start to realize, hey, when you feel two pellets, it doesn't seem that big a deal, but there's a significant uh, weight difference there. It's almost twice as much. If you think about it, .24 would be twice as much. Um, most .2 and above are very well made. They're seamless. They're polished. Uh, they don't get caught up in gearboxes on, on AEGs if you're shooting those. Uh, and they don't jack things up on your better gas blowback uh, semi-auto rifles as well and your semi-auto handguns. It is going to be the case that they will, be, they, will, they will show you how accurate your gun is at reasonable ranges. It doesn't mean that other pellets might, might not be more accurate, but if it, if it completely sucks... With .2s going heavier, probably won't fix it with some rare exceptions. Then the next level up is .25. I don't, there might be some .22s or .23s or something like that, but generally most people, if they're not going to shoot a .2 and they're going to go heavier, they're going to go .25. And then they go up like to .36 or kind of your standards, and then there's weights all the way way up to where you might as well be shooting somebody with a friggin' BB if you were shooting at a person. .25 to .36, somewhere in that range, to even .38, can be more accurate in many guns, especially at greater distances. This is more a function for you if you're a trainer as to how far you want to practice your training, whereas for gamers it's more a function of you know dealing with wind, getting through some leaf cover and things like that to get hits on their opponent. So this is what I actually suggest. I suggest you, you shoot .2 and .25 grain BBs through your guns and you test them for accuracy using paper at a distance you want to practice at and see which one groups better, and whichever one groups better would be the one that I would go with. Uh, because you're concerned about how accurate is the gun under ideal conditions, i.e. laid on a sandbag rest, so that I know that I can define, if, if, if I want to practice at 25 yards, but the gun I'm using just really isn't accurate to the size of target that I'm using at 25 yards, I'm not really helping myself. I'm better off bringing the targets closer and reducing their size, so I have to be more precise. Okay, and by determining what your weapons are capable with of at the distances that you're going to practice with, you'll find the weight that works best. I will tell you right now that .25s cost a little more than .20, but probably not that much more, and generally will enhance your accuracy. As you go above that, they get considerably more expensive, and unless you have a compelling reason, you probably won't want to go beyond a .25 grain or quarter grain uh, BB. Uh, the heavier are they, more they cost, is what it comes down to. I want to talk real quick about some guns I own and what I like about them. I have a WeTech 1911. Of course, I have a 1911. Um, if you want 1911s, you're in luck. You can get $89 gas metal, all black, blowback, uh, kind of stock level 1911s from people like WeTech. Um, and you can get custom guns that are set up like IDPA guns or something. I mean, everybody that's in the industry makes 1911s. Everybody. 
um, I probably should own actually a better 1911 airsoft gun because I'm such a 1911 enthusiast. But to, to tell you the truth, the one I bought, I think it was about 90 bucks. Um, and I think an extra mag for it was like 30 bucks. So I have two mags for it. And it, it, it shoots just fine. It functions like my 1911s, several different firearms that I own. Uh, it fits holsters just fine. It has, you know, safety, slide release, everything you would expect in a 1911. Uh, it allows me to draw, remove safe, fire, return to safe, return to holster. It allows me to do multiple shots. Um, it does hold, I believe, 14 or 16 pellets to the magazine. But if I wanted to do realistic training, um, I can certainly load only eight to each magazine. Um, and I like it because it's a 1911 and it's affordable. I also have what's called uh, a company called KJ Works. I have a SIG 228, I think is what they've based it on. But it's basically your, your regular SIG uh, handgun, something you'd have in a 9mm. Um, that gun is a step up. It's about a $160 gun. The grips on it are fantastic. The weight is a little bit more true. Uh, even though 1911 is a good weighty gun, the, the, the SIG, I mean, if you have it in your hands blindfolded, you feel like you're holding uh, an actual SIG handgun. Um, It has decocking lever that functions, so you can chamber around, decock, holster. You can draw, you can fire, you can decock, return to holster. Okay, are you starting to see what I mean now about being realistic training? It, it, the the one that I have does have small rail mount underneath uh, in front of the the trigger where you can mount a light or a laser. We'll talk about that in a second, um, but I like it because it is a very common gun that people own, carry, and use. Six. I actually have a SIG 239 uh, in 40 Smith and Wesson, the compact SIG, and this was the closest thing I could find to it. And therefore, it does not fit the holster that I have for my SIG that I carry on occasion. Um, but I just picked up a Phobos holster for that gun, and I use that when I practice. And I'll talk about holsters a bit in a, in a second as well. I have a WeTech G19 um, that I just got. And I have that because so many of my friends are Glock enthusiasts, and they like to shoot Glocks. And when I want to spread the, the, the virus of airsoft shooting, I want to be able to put something that feels like their Glock in their hand and let them shoot it. It has the, 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 safe, the safety trigger, the double safety trigger. It functions just like everything about it functions exactly like a Glock. If you carry a larger, like a Glock 17, you can get a G17 from WeTech. Okay. Uh, so I have that primarily just because you might as well have a Glock in the mix. Uh, and then I have a KWA LM4 PTR. This is an AR clone. I talked a little bit about it yesterday with my uh, updates about the uh, class that we'll be doing here. Airsoft will be part of that. Uh, this is this feels like an M4. The only thing that tells you it's not an M4 when you look at it is the orange flash suppressor, which, by the way, you can remove. There's nothing illegal about removing those flash suppressors uh, or the little orange things at the end of your barrels and stuff like that and, and replacing them with something all black. Um, a lot of gamers do because you don't want to run around with orange you know, on your gun. In general, I don't actually encourage that. It is another layer of safety, especially if you're, you have guns that look exactly like your firearms. It's just like having a dummy a blue gun versus having a dummy gun be black. So you know what you're looking at every time you look at it. These things really do look very, very similar. This is a gas blowback um, AR clone. It is an M16A2 configuration removable handle. So you can go flat top with it and put optics on it. I shoot it with iron sights. Uh, it's 
proven to be quite accurate. I've just started playing with it for about a week now. It allows you to shoot semi-auto, so you can train just like you would. But if you want to have some fun, yeah, you can roll it to rock and roll and go full auto. You can file three-round bursts or just let it loose. Um, when you fire it, the sound sounds like you're shooting an AR with ears on. So if you had your good quality earmuffs on, it's about that light. You can hear the spring, the recoil uh, buffer spring in the stock tube every time you shoot it. The only downside about it is I'm shooting steel targets. Uh, I'll talk about in a second. That it's loud enough that sometimes you're not sure if you hit them or not because they're not react. They don't fall down or anything. You don't necessarily hear them ping the steel because it gets the pellet out there fast enough that the uh, the sound of discharge overtakes it. But with white pellets, you can usually see your impacts. Um, but it is it is the, the most favorite thing I have now, and I have another one I'm waiting for. I have a Euromax uh, Euromax Walther PPQ M2, which is just a very another very popular gun, and the reviews I've looked at on it uh, are, are pretty damn good. So here's the basic thing um, it, as far as these manufacturers. Most of them that are making gas blowback guns are pretty damn good, or they're not in business. This is this is a mature industry. Um, This has been around for more than 10 years now. Uh, to sell gas blowbacks, you have to be pretty good. The entry-level product is the Wii Tech, and they make almost everything. Somebody makes something, they make a knockoff of it. They're pretty damn good, but they're not quite the same level of feel and quality, and it doesn't have quite the same amount of thump to that simulated recoil in most of the Wii Tech stuff I've used. Though I did shoot a buddy's Wii Tech uh, M4 clone, and it was pretty damn solid. <laughs> Nothing like the KWA LM4. Nothing like it. This thing, um, I have a little video that I shot for my buddy David. I'm not going to make it a public video because it wasn't really designed to be public. It's only about 15 seconds long. I like so I can text it on my phone, but it is on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can see me playing with this, just doing a couple three-round bursts with it. And you'll see, it, it kind of brings joy to your heart. If you're an old soldier like me and you trained you know, with M16A1s, that could run full auto, I think you'll have an appreciation for this gun and other guns of its quality that, that, that civilians won't. Because you'll realize how damn close it is. It's not the level of recoil, but it's significant recoil. And it feels, it, the, the, the recoil feels thumpy, and it gives you that ability to train with it. So with any one of those sidearms and that M4, I can train in the two primary things that I would use to defend myself, my family, and my person. My AR or my handgun. And I can train either with 1911 or SIG, and those are the two guns that I depend on most. I'll tell you the other thing that does for you. That lets me go outside, throw my 1911 in a holster, draw it and shoot it, throw my SIG in a holster, draw it and shoot it, and have to deal with two different actions and two different guns to where as soon as my hand touches the gun, that's what I'm, I know. Oh, yeah, that's the SIG. Because you guys that carry different guns on different days, if they don't function exactly the same... You're talking about a double action hammer down, long pull safety in the SIG, and you're talking about a cocked and locked uh, single action in the 45 that ha you have a safety you have to thumb off as you draw. So it's that's a good case right there for carrying one gun. But I'm just saying it does allow you to get that muscle memory to where you're thinking the right way all the time. Uh, getting started, I would say Springers are the cheap place to start. Um, go ahead and get one if you're if you're not sold and you just want to play around. You spend 20 bucks and buy a you know a thousand pack of BBs or something dot two or higher and just shoot some tin cans. Uh, buy something that that you do have a holster for if you can find it and 
do draw and shoot practice with it. See if it's something you'd want to take to another level. And if you don't like it, give it to your kids. Tell them not to shoot each other. Right? I mean, that's it's, it's you're just not out much. Again, I would avoid AEGs for practical training. I just don't think AEGs are a practical training tool, period, the end. Um, I would avoid CO2 due to long-term economies and the fact that almost all green gas guns are blowback. So I would look for a green gas gun with gas blowback. I'd get an adapter, and I'd run propane. And if you could find a gun that is a green gas gun that is in the, that is the same, you know, the same clone of what you carry, use your carry holster when you practice. If not, get another holster for it. This is one place the Springers have an advantage. There's almost nothing out there that doesn't have a spring gun like it. So if you have, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a, a Taurus PT-111, I don't think you're going to find a, um, a gas blowback in that. But you will find a spring gun in that. And you'll find CO2 guns in that gun. So this is where the CO2 comes in. Because they're cheaper to make, even though they're non-blowback, um, there are more varieties of guns that people carry in CO2 than there are in gas blowback. I would say that I would still recommend, instead of getting an exact clone, get the closest thing you can find and shoot the gas blowback because it costs less and it's more realistic. Um, don't get back down on uh, the technical specs. Don't get all deep into that. But do watch YouTube reviews. Once you think you know what gun you want to buy, watch some videos on it. And then here's a little hack. Type that gun model in on, on Google and then type versus and something will pop up. And you can probably figure out that means it's a, com a competitive product and watch some YouTube videos on them if you, if you know, if you're buying a, a, you know, something over a hundred bucks and it's a significant purchase till you find what you really want. But all three, all, all, all of the ones that I recommended today are ones that I've researched and decided, uh, were good enough for what I was looking for. Um, and I want to explain now kind of why it's hard to find some specific gas blowback, blowback clones. There's two reasons. One, because they don't exist, and I'll talk about why in a second. The other one is because you're looking for them the wrong way. So a lot of manufacturers make clones, but they don't call them clones. So if you're looking for a WeTech Glock clone to clo clone a Glock 19, you don't look for WeTech Glock 19, especially if you're on like Airsoft Megastore or Pyramid Air or Evic or any of those websites, because they're listed by what the manufacturer calls them. Well, WeTech calls it a WeTech G19. Because they can't use the Glock trademark because it's not licensed. So in many incidents, you can't find what you're looking for if you're on websites trying to find them because they don't call them that. But if you search Google for them, then people will talk about what, and then you'll find the actual model number and you can go track it down. That's one thing. The other thing is they just don't exist for a lot of, you know, guns that people tend to carry. Uh, they're getting better about this, like Springfield XDMs are now available. And, and uh, But what you see, that there's lots of options for. You know, Everybody makes two or three versions. Some make four or five versions. Some make ten versions, are 1911s and M9s. And that should start to lead you down the path. And I'm talking about gas blowback, high-quality, metal, full replica guns. The reason, okay, they also make Tokarov 33s, if you're familiar with what those are. You got it yet? What's going on here? T They, they make them for gamers, doing milsim and things like that, and they're not generally trying to carry concealed, so they're making full-size guns that are popular amongst the military. M9s, 1911s, Tokarovs, um, CZs, st stuff like that. 
So they're serving that market. And here's why they're serving that market. First of all, we've shunned them and said, oh, oh, that's all toys and games and gimmicks and whatever. But it's also just business. See, most of these companies, they make accessories. Uh, they make add-ons. They make uh, all kinds of stuff. So you sell a guy a gun, he buys a gun, he goes away. You sell a guy a gun for games, and he buys modifiers. He buys an AR. It has a bolt uh, for one of his, the electric guns. No, he buys that, and it, it that bolt actually has a mechanism that controls what the velocity of the BB is. So he goes and buys two more expensive bolts, and that way he can go up in velocity or down in velocity. Okay? And then he buys accessories, and he comes back and buys another gun when he wears that one out, where we are kind of a one-off purchase in the training world. So what they do is they make these really awesome guns that are great for training. Sometimes they make a gun that is specifically designed as a training tool to sell to military, police, etc. for training. That's what the LM4 is. Um, but in general, they just make these really high-quality stuff, like the uh, the KJ, KJ, KJ Works uh, SIG That's an example of that, that the gamer still, okay, U.S. Navy uses the SIG-22, right? SIG-226, I guess it is. So that fits MilSim environment as well, plus it looks cool, and then the gamers will buy it and will buy it. So that, that's just how they're making their decision about what to do. So let's talk about some quick training ideas, and, and, and this will start to explain to you how, how valuable this type of training can do. I'll do what I call every morning or every evening quick shooting. And all that is, is most of you that, that carry, you get up in the morning, you get yourself together, you do the three S's, as they say, and you head off to work or whatever. So you put your gun on. Well, your gun has a holster. I imagine most of you don't carry your gun, you know, in your butt crack. Um, so you take your gun and you go outside and you set your gun to the side and you have your airsoft gun set somewhere out where you have some targets set up. You pull your airsoft gun, you load a magazine up, you take and you go through around a magazine of, am of shooting. And maybe you do it as double taps or you do it as, you know, shoot four, reholster, shoot four, reholster, shoot one, reholster. That's how much time you have. You do that every morning before you go to work. You think you'd go to work in a better mood? Well, what about the evening when you come home and you're pissed off at your boss? Right? Go out and do it. Just do that every morning and every evening. How much muscle memory, how much do you then practice, and you're, guess what you're doing? You're practicing in the clothes you would be wearing if you needed to use your gun, because you're practicing in the clothes that you wear. Which are probably not the clothes you wear to the gun range. And when you're at the gun range, are you allowed to draw and reholster? Are you allowed to double tap? Can you move? Can you even move? Most ranges, you can't do any of those things. So, develop a, a, a quick, simple, one-minute regiment And use that every morning and every evening or every morning or every evening, whatever works better for you. And then just put your gun away and put your real gun back on and go back to work. And there's another compelling reason to not take the little orange thing off. Right? I know it looks like a toy, but that's why we make blue guns instead of black guns when we make dummy guns. All right. Um, how about this? You know, I talked about the little thing for the flashlight to go on. How many people out there in this audience have a, a handgun, especially when they keep at home, like in the drawer next to the bed or something like that, or under the mattress, or wherever it is you keep yours in the hidden compartment behind your headboard uh, that has a mounted flashlight on it? A lot of guys don't carry because you're adding to what you're carrying, so they don't carry with a light, but they have a, a home defense handgun with a light on because if somebody breaks in, gee, you use a light. Have you ever shot with the light on in the dark? 
ever. Or how many of us, like, you know, I carry a tactical light, and I don't carry a light-mounted mount, uh, gun. And, you know, the whole cross grip, we have the light in one hand, the gun in the other hand. You ever shoot like that in the dark with the light? Uh, would your neighbors get mad if you did? Like, you know, you went out in your backyard in the suburbs and started blowing holes in, oh, I don't know, beer cans or something with your forty-five and your tack light. But you can do it. You can do it in your basement with a gas blowback airsoft gun. If, if, you, if some places even gas blowback outside at night might be a problem, but you can do it. If you live any kind of spaced out, you know, there's no problem. There's just, it's not that loud for Pete's sake. So if you ever practice with the light on your gun in the dark, you can do that with airsoft. That, that's what I mean by ways you probably haven't really thought of. Or you've thought about it, but you can't. How about having some fun, though, right? You get the kids out there play knockout. How do you do knockout? You get a table or a, a, a bench or something you set up. Put something up there like beer cans, right? And you have 10 beer cans, and a kid has 10 beer cans. You flip a coin to see who goes first. You each take one shot to one shot. Put it at a distance that's the limit of where the gun will reliably shoot accurate enough to hit a can every time. So it's not so easy. And if it gets too easy, move it back a little bit. Play knockout and start at one thing, and then whoever wins, that's fine. Take two steps back, play again. Until you find a distance where you, you all of you, both of you miss on occasion. You know, get back to a, the gun will give you a limit to how far it will shoot. Now you're pushing your limit. And you just keep, and whoever knocks whoever's cans over first wins. For some reason, it's different than trying to knock your own cans over when you're knocking out your... It's just like you used to play knockout in basketball. That's another game that you can play. I, I think draw and shoot, make safe, return to holster, repeat is the most important thing that people don't do at the range that you can do with airsoft. It's what I do in the mornings now that I've gotten all these guns and set up targets and, and, and what have you. I go out in the morning when I'm you know taking care of the ducks and all. I, I take one of my holsters. I put it on. I choose one of the guns for that day. And I have my steel targets, and I draw, and I, I do like the first half very slowly, where I look almost like, what's wrong with him? Think Tai Chi movement, right? Into a position, fire, pull back, make safe, holster. There's, you know, again, there's different ways you'd make safe. 1911, how am I making it safe? I'm putting the safety on. Sig 226, what am I doing? I've got my... my my thumb's on the left side of the, the gun in a weaver stance, and that left thumb is decocking. And, you know, so on and so on with the other guns. Or I'll pull the uh, M4 up, and I just don't go to full auto if I'm actually training with the M4, though it's hard not to. It's fun. But, but that is something, again, that I just don't think it gets done enough. And I'll ask a lot of you that were skeptical when I started this show today, how many of you, how many of you regularly practice drawing your weapon and actually firing it and returning it to your holster. And many of you would say, I'd love to, but I can't. Because the range I go to, or the ranges I have access to, won't let me. And even those of you that have a place where you can, I'd say, are you doing it daily? Are you doing it three times a week? Do you think you'd be better if you did? And do you enjoy it when you get to? Because, see, that's the big thing about Alice. Isn't all this stuff actually fun? And then you can take your variations on draw and shoot. You can give yourself, you know, make up. When I used to lift weights, I would make up a routine for myself. You know, this day I'm going to do uh, flat bench, incline bench, flies. Here's my sets. Here's my weights. So make up a routine. This day I'm going to shoot, you know, 
two here, three there, whatever, on however you set your targets up, and then you know progress through that for a couple weeks and, and keep track of your results. And not so much time, but accuracy. Speed comes by itself. You know, again, I say this all the time. I just want to burn it in your heads. It, 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 many martial artists say this. Slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. You go slow and smooth, and you develop the form and the muscle memory that speed comes with the territory. And you'll find you'll have this desire to draw really quick, to shoot really fast, and a distance you could hit without even trying, you'll miss a target you shouldn't miss. And you'll start to get in touch with the fact that you're not as good as you think you are. And I think that's another problem that people have with airsoft. A lot of people come over... And I want them to shoot airsoft, and they don't want to shoot in front of me because, well, they think I'm better than them. Sometimes they're better than me. They have this unrealistic expectation of how good I am. I'm not, I'm not the greatest pistol shot, I'll tell you that right now. I'm not bad. I'm a lot better thanks to airsoft. But I'm not, I'm not a guy out competing in IDPA, and I probably wouldn't do very good there if I went. I'm worried about the practical application. So I think another thing we have to do is get over, get over this competitive attitude that men have. I don't want to look bad in front of somebody else. And, and I think that kind of people use that as a shield to stay away from airsoft sometimes. I've seen that. But it's, it's, it's supposed to be fun. As far as targets, you do have some options. There are professional steel targets for airsoft that mimic, you know, IPSC and, and IDPA, uh, where they actually have things like the Texas Star and they all function and they're scaled. So, you know, you shoot at 10 feet, it's the same as shooting at 15 yards by scale. Functions, moves the same. They're quite expensive, but uh, I'll find the website that sells them, and I'll put it up for you today. I'm not going to ever spend money on them, I don't think. I, I really don't. I think that they are a great idea if you start to maybe, because I think this is another opportunity to put together clubs, you know, maybe a subset of Granddaddy's Gun Club, where it's hard to be able to go out and shoot, but you can get people together in the backyard and shoot every day or any day with Airsoft. You, know, you can create small leagues. So if someone wants to make, like, an IDPA course, and do some friendly competition and stuff. I think those targets are great for that, but I don't think you need them. Um, a lot of guys I see on YouTube are, are basically figuring out the, the, the size based on the range, and they're just getting sheet metal, and they're cutting it out, hitting it with a file so it doesn't cut anything, spraying it with some spray paint, drilling some holes in it, and hanging it from stuff, and, and building racks out of PVC pipe and what have you. And, you know, it works just fine. They will dent up and kind of, over time, again, these guns hit harder than I think people realize, um, but, you know, plain old sheet metal you can get from Home Depot makes a plenty good target. Um, I have heavy steel targets, 6-inch uh, and 8-inch uh, round targets um, that I got from eBay for like 6 bucks a piece or something like that uh, from quarter-inch plate steel. I just went on eBay and said, I wonder if anybody sells round steel you know, steel circles, I think I put in. Found a couple of people doing it and picked out two different sizes, six and six and eight, just to play with it. Got them home. The only thing I had to do was drill some holes in them. That takes some time through a quarter-inch steel. And I mounted them up on a, uh, a thing. You'll see that little video if you take a look at it. And I'll be doing some other things with them and getting some other targets. I did that because I also shoot a lot of air rifles. And that quarter-inch steel, you can hit that with your heaviest, you know, uh, uh, spring air air rifle like a, I have a Crossman Nitro 22 and it hits and it sounds solid but it doesn't do anything to that steel plate and that pellet just collapses on it it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't ricochet these little BBs these little plastic BBs do ricochet eye protection really really a great idea 
I'll be honest, I wear glasses, and I just wear my glasses as eye protection. With ricochet off of the distance I shoot, you know, we're talking about shooting at each other, but they do bounce pretty good, so eye protection when you're doing it. But heavy steel is, is nice. If you have access to it or what have you, uh, or you can buy it cheap and build your own targets and setups and things like that. Um, also, heavy plastic jugs uh, make pretty good targets of, of various sizes, as long as they're not like really thin stuff like water bottles, like your little Evian bottles and stuff like that, these things go right through them uh, at, at closer ranges. But your heavy-duty plastic jugs like the uh, the one-gallon apple juice jugs that we use to make uh, apple cider and use as fermenters for meat and things like that, those work great. Now, they're pretty big, but if you hold one up to the, you know, the chest of a human being, it's a pretty good approximation of a man's chest cavity. They make a good thump when you hit them so you know you hit them. Uh, you can paint them various colors. You can hang them. You can set them on the ground. You can so anything like that works, and it, it's a standard size thing, right? That's that's the other nice thing about it. But how about this? Let's say you want to do some steel shooting. So you wanted something to give you the ping, 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 ping. You didn't want to cut sheet metal or whatever. Go to Goodwill. Go to the dollar store. Uh, go to Walmart. Find really cheap pots or pots or pans. And, you know, the handles probably even have a little thing to hang them with something or crack the handle off and, and put them up. I mean, whatever you can come up with. But I guess my point is it, it, it's, it's, it's much more beneficial, it's much more fun to have a target that gives you a reaction of some sort than it is to have a target that um, just gets holes in paper, right? And, and it gives you more of a feedback loop. And you obsess less over about groupings because I'm going to tell you, these guns are surprisingly accurate, but they're not going to put those dime-sized groups at, you know, 15 yards. If you can consistently hit a 6- or 8-inch uh, circle at 15 yards with an airsoft pistol, you're doing fairly well. And if you can do that, you'll be able to do it with your sidearm, right? So I hope this kind of gives you a new view of these things. And I want to finish with talking about Spreading gun rights and gun ownership with Airsoft. My my new daughter-in-law doesn't hate guns, but she's never been around guns. She has an, a, a bit of an irrational fear about guns. Uh, we've talked about going to the range. She's sort of okay with it, but not really okay with it. You know what? I handed her that AR, uh, that AR clone uh, this Sunday and let her spray some steel plates at about 20 yards on full auto. She had a face of just complete happiness. She was like, it was really exciting to her. She like really enjoyed it. My wife, the first time I let her shoot that gun, goes, oh, I like that. She's like, if somebody breaks in the house, I'll shoot them with that. I'm like, no, that will just piss them off, honey. <laughs> Though I guess with 40 of those in the face at 10 feet would probably get you thinking. But she really enjoyed shooting it. And so you're not talking about gun people here. And what I find is when we have people over that are a little bit intimidated by guns, I can pull out some of my airsoft equipment. I can put it in their hands. I can get them shooting. And when they say, well, what's it like to shoot a real gun? I can say, it's just like that, only it's louder. And I'd be a little bit more nervous around you since you don't have experience. So I'd be doing a little bit more safety work with you. But I still work with them on safety. I teach them etiquette. You know, the first thing I teach a person I hand an airsoft gun to that's not a shooter, what it means to muzzle somebody and why we never do it. You know, the whole laser beam thing, if you've never heard the speech. Imagine the muzzle of your gun is a, is a Stephen Harris lightsaber, and that lightsaber beam goes a, a thousand yards, and if it crosses another human being or living thing, it cuts them in half and murders them. So we wouldn't do that. It's it's rude, 
to use your laser beam out of your gun to cut your friend in half so you don't do rude things. Well, if we never muzzle anybody, no one ever accidentally gets shot with a pellet or a real round. Got it? So I, I use it for that training, and then they start to realize, like, these gun nuts are actually, like, what they're nuts about is safety. What they're nuts about is the rules and the, and the things you do so that no one gets hurt and that this is actually fun. Because if we're going to defend the Second Amendment, if we're going to defend gun rights in this country, we need more people owning guns. That is the only way. You will not convince the person that's on the fence that can be led by propaganda with logic and reason. I know that doesn't make any sense. I know that you think that makes no sense. You're like, well, logic and reason, geez, if that doesn't work, what will? A gun in their hands that they use that they see doesn't burn them. I've had so many things. Like, I remember my one, my, my one son's friend who came over to the house and I was reloading uh, some 306 rounds. He was afraid to touch gunpowder because he thought it would burn him. This kid was like 12 or 13 years old. And he was a stupid kid. It was just the kind of thing he was told to make him afraid of guns by his anti-gun parents. Right? It is only by allowing people the ability to have the contact, to feel the responsibility and the power that go together with each other. Remember, I always said, you can't teach responsibility unless you let somebody touch something dangerous. Unless somebody has the ability to do harm, they can't learn true responsibility. I, I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but it's true. What is one of the most important things where you have to have responsibility in your life that almost everybody does? Drive a car. Do you know why? Because cars kill people. When you have something that can harm or kill, and you're responsible for it, therefore you're responsible for the safety of others, you actually feel the burden of responsibility. And at the same time, firearms are empowering, and they put us on a level playing field, so that little mousy girl that's always been afraid that somebody's going to rape her, but has also always been afraid of guns because they told her, you can't use a gun. What do you think is going to happen? You need to call a cop. She learns to use a gun and goes, you know what? I damn well can use a gun. And if that starts out with a $20 spring gun or a, a, a gas blowback gun or an AEG or an airsoft gaming field, I don't care where it starts. As long as it starts somewhere, as long as it starts somewhere. And the more people we can get teaching and training with airsoft, the more that's like a sales funnel. So when I was in sales, if, if your sales are down, your sales manager has a conversation with you, and they don't talk so much to you, maybe a little bit, about your, your forecast for like the next 30 days, of the accounts, you know, the stuff that you said you were bringing in, but it's like it's held up in purchasing or something like that. They, a little bit to see what's going on there, right? But if your numbers aren't right and they haven't been right for a quarter, right, well, what's going in the funnel? What are you doing to generate new business, new contacts, And for every one that comes out the bottom and equals a sale, you got to put 20 or 30 in the funnel. Well, Airsoft is like the top of the funnel in, in bringing non-gunners into becoming gunners. We can get them in the door with that. We can show them how everything works. We can make them feel comfortable, and we feel comfortable. I never feel comfortable with a first-time shooter with a handgun. I never feel comfortable with a first-time shooter with a handgun. It's too easy for them to turn around, move around, swing their arms. Much more comfortable with a rifle. I've got much more muzzle awareness on them. I can put them in a much more controlled situation, right? But if I work with somebody with airsoft and then I take them to the range the first time with a handgun, I'm still a little leery because it's still a new thing, but I know they're taking it serious. I have a relationship with them. Um, they know safety protocol. They know how the gun functions. They're not asking, what does this do? 
They're not turning around with the gun in their hand pointing at me. They've learned about the laser beam and it's rude to cut me in half. And it's rude to cut the, the, the range officer in half. So I have a much better experience. They have a better experience. They feel better. They don't get traumatized like the guy from the New York Post that said he had PT, PTSD from shooting an AR. We all know that, that yard bird, I think, right? So it, it just works better. So that's another reason I love Airsoft. Cheap, fun practice, realistic, realistic weapons, guys, that allow real-world training and allow you to train in ways you might actually have to train, like set some targets up in your garage, turn the lights out, and get a flashlight. Because, gee, guess what, guys? Guess what, guys, that put this down? If somebody breaks in your house, that's the type of thing you're going to have to deal with. By the way, in many instances, the best thing to do in that situation is actually turn on the lights. Well, there's times where that's not an option, right? That's why you have that light on the front of your gun. Again, have you ever shot with the light in the dark? Some of you live in the farm country and whatever, and you're going to say, yes, that's great. What about the rest of you? How many of you practiced cross-hand grip with a flashlight? but have never actually fired a gun with it. Maybe even dry fired, snap capped, whatever, but never actually shot anything with it. Can you hit? If you're always practicing with two hands on the gun and you're going to cross-angle grip versus a weaver stance, how about you actually determine what your effective range is? These are all reasons to consider airsoft. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I promise you. Everybody that comes to my workshop, I promise you, when you shoot that LM4, you're going to smile. You're going to smile. Anyway, on that, before I, I, uh, I get into the full closing segment here, I do want to give you an announcement. I put out a, a blog post last night about this, but the workshop will go on sale Friday morning at 9 a.m. For those who want to come to the Fun and Skills Workshop at Nine Mile Farm, I'm selling um, when they go on sale then because instructors have taken seats away for this. A lot of the instructors are also students. I'm going to be selling 32 seats Friday morning. It will be for MSB only. You don't have to wait for the blog post. Don't wait for the email to show up. If you want to come, set your alarm now at 9 a.m. Log into the Member Support Brigade. There will be a link there. Then you can sign up. You do your $100 deposit, and you pay $400 on arrival. Really not on arrival. Probably the the, the, the first day of the event in the morning will have a, a, a table and a sign-up table and all. If you come to my events... Don't walk up to me first thing with your money in your form. I don't touch money at the events. We have procedures. Dorothy or a staff member takes care of that with a list and marks people off and collects your forms and things like that. Anyway, so I just wanted to say that. I'm going to say it every day until Friday so no one says they didn't know and no one gets butt hurt. Goes on sale, 9 a.m., MSB only. And if, if it doesn't sell out by Saturday at 9 a.m., I'll put it on the site for everybody. But I don't think that's going to happen this time. And for those that want to come and don't get to come, guys, I'm sorry. I, I really am. I, uh, I hate turning anybody down, but my property only has so much capacity. Next up, if you like this show, if it gave you value today, if you think, hey, you know what, being able to practice every day for pennies is, is, is worth something, consider supporting my show with the Member Support Brigade. To do that, just go to uh, thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on Members, and you can sign up there. It's 5 bucks a month or $50 a year. I'm going to say something, too. I'm going to put a bunch of links in the show notes today of websites that sell airsoft that I know are good places to get airsoft guns. All of you guys, if you if you order, there's usually a place for notes. Say, I heard about you on the Survival Podcast. And if you call them and ask them some tech questions and stuff like that, tell them that you heard about them on the Survival Podcast because I'm trying to get one of them uh, to uh, to give you guys a discount for MSB. I want That would be a great thing to add to MSB. 
Evic, which is spelled E-V-I-C-K-E, evic.com, is the one I really would like to target because they have incredible selection and uh, really great customer service. Uh, so that just keep that in mind. If you buy from them, definitely ting them with the whole TSP message because if that happens over the next couple weeks and then I get in touch with their marketing department, they're a lot more likely to want to talk to me. It's just kind of funny how that opens doors. So help me help you if you'd like a discount on Airsoft Gear. Uh, next up, the other way to support this show is go to Amazon.com through tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com, and, and then click the link and go to Amazon, do your shopping. You might wonder why I'm not putting all these great Airsoft guns with Amazon links so I can make affiliate commission, because I'm not evil and I take care of my audience and my experience in buying airsoft guns on Amazon uh, when you're trying to buy quality airsoft guns. Springers, you can buy all you want. Uh, I'll put a couple on, on the show notes we can do that, but when it comes to gas blowback, it's been miserable. You pay more. I've had two that I tried to buy to test it to see if I could recommend them. Didn't show up. One, multiple contacts with the seller had to make Amazon get involved and get a, re re a refund. Evic, Red, Red Wolf, uh, Red Wolf Airsoft, uh, Army Panda, these are better places to get your Airsoft stuff. But everything else you buy, if you're going to buy it on Amazon, go through T-Spaz. And remember, I have an item of the day that I uh, review every day for you guys. And today's is a really cool one. And I've talked about this one before, but they are mono-price releasable cable ties, six inches long, 50-pound test. So they're a, they're a cable tie or a zip tie. But they have a little lever. You push them, and they release And they're only six inches long. Well, if you want 12 inches, put two of them together. You don't want it 12 inches, they work it back apart. You get it? Three, you got eight, you know, three times six is 18 inches. And they're big, thick, nice, flexible ones. I use them for so many things. I use them to, to, to tie wrap, uh, hog panels together to make basically chicken tractors out of, you know, temporary chicken tractors for my ducks. I use them to, uh, keep gates closed and, and, and kind of temporary make gates. Uh, if it's something needs to be held together, They work great. I keep four to six of them in my cargo pocket on my shorts all the time as part of my EDC. I keep them in my glove box in my car. You get it everywhere. In the junk drawer, there's some of them. They're in the shop. Uh, I even have different places where out on the fence around the property, I just hang a couple on the fence. Uh, and then if I need them, you can just grab the little release thing and pull them off and, and hold stuff together. I'll tell you how versatile zip ties are, though. This is in the write-up, and I, I say there, this is not something you should do, but it's something that did happen. And they weren't these. They were just plain zip ties. I had a friend named Brad in the Army, and I also had another friend named Dean. Dean had a truck. It was one of the few of our close friends that actually had a vehicle in Panama. And if anybody wanted the truck that was part of the circle of friends, Dean just, here's the keys. You know, I'll need it back in an hour or whatever, whenever he was going to need it. So one day, Brad and I want to run to the PX and get some beer. And uh, Dean says, here, Brad, throws Brad the keys. Brad gets in the truck. We get in the car. Brad is a Louisiana boy, a southern Louisiana boy that grew up driving on dirt roads. And uh, you seldom would get much more with speeding on base down there from an MP other than a, hey, we just slow it down. So we break every speed limit on the way there, really making the turns pretty heavy and all, and uh, get our beer and come back. And Dean goes, oh, man, I should have told you guys to take it easy until my new tie rod gets in. Your new tie rod gets in, Dean? What? What's the deal? Oh, yeah, the tie rod broke, and I fixed it with the uh, zip ties. That it broke. You mean it's 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 loose. It's bad, and you. No, no, it broke in half. It fell apart. And I put it back together with zip ties. So Brad and I get under the truck and we look. And on the driver's side, he has four zip ties holding two pieces of a tie rod together. If you don't know what a tie rod does, it's actually what goes to like the 
the from the the chassis to the steering bracket of your your tire, and it actually just controls your front wheels and makes them turn. So if that goes away, the wheel just kind of can go wibbly wobbly nibbly anyway. Yeah. So Brad almost killed Dean, uh, but an hour later we were drinking beer and laughing about it because when you're 20 you're stupid, and we were. Um, but I wouldn't do that again today and drive down the road like that. But if I had a tie rod that was jacked up that way, and I needed to get the vehicle, you know, a couple hundred yards or so, and I was going to drive it at five miles an hour, and it got the vehicle off the road to safety, wow. So what can't you tie wrap? I mean, tie wraps, duct tape, and what I had yesterday, tarred line, this stuff, you gotta, those things can fix so many things, so filled expediently. And the fact that these ones are releasable, and they're like $7.24 a hundred pack. Right, so if you haven't gotten these, and I've recommended them before, I recommend them: bug out bag, you know, junk drawer, uh, and glove boxes. At least those places. And here's what's going to happen: you're not going to do it, and, and you know, I don't hard sell this stuff usually, but you're not going to do it. And within two weeks, you're going to be looking at something and going, "If I had a tire, ra- ah, damn it!" So this is one I really recommend. Again, though, tspaz.com for all of your shopping on Amazon needs. And uh, the other way you can support us is by doing business with other members of this community at tspbiz.com. That's our uh, our business directory. Today's supporter of the business directory is Agenda Printworks. They provide handmade custom screen printing and outdoor-inspired clothing. Jacob is a TSP listener who has been running his business from home for 10 years. Go to agendaprintworks.com for high-quality custom printing. And with that, we come to our song of the day. This is a great one for today uh, because... Airsoft actually helps us continue to live a little bit like is mentioned in this song. And this song uh, was sent to me today by a listener, and it makes me think of myself as a, as a child. And Danny sent this one to me, and I, I've, I've heard the, the, uh, the artist many times, is Don Williams. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's a song that I read the one stanza that Danny put here for me. And he says, uh, this is a song about growing up like you did. And here's the stanza says, Well, I grew up wild and free, walking these fields in my bare feet. There wasn't no place I couldn't go with a .22 rifle and a fishing pole. And I, I read that, and I'm like, wow, that that is the story of my growing up. So I clicked on the link, and the song's called Good Old Boys Like Me. And it's basically, now that everything's changed, what are you, you going to do with people like us? What are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? You know, we didn't change. Everything changed around us, and what we were doing wasn't wrong, it wasn't bad, and we weren't hurting nobody. But we don't have those fields to, to run free. And the worst thing is we don't have those free those fields to set our, our grandkids free in and teach them the way that we did like we used to. There are places they can't go with a twenty two rifle and a fishing pole. This song, like, really did it for me. And it also says in the email that I got from Danny, this was his 35th. Don Williams is 35th and last top 10 hit. So uh, it was a great artist. This is a great song, and I'm happy to share it with you today and uh, listen to the words and think about it. I think a lot of you guys that grew up in the country like I did that are over 40 uh, will hear yourself in this song, and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll realize why I'm so passionate about preserving our rights, and I'll do anything and everything I can to plant that seed in people's hearts. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. 
When I was a kid, Uncle Remus, he put me to bed With a picture of Stonewall Jackson above my head Then Daddy came in to kiss his little man With gin on his breath and a Bible in his hand He talked about honor and things I should know Then he'd stagger a little as he went out the door I can still hear the soft southern winds in the live old trees And those were William's boys, they still mean a lot to me Hank in Tennessee I guess we're all gonna be what we're gonna be So what do you do with good old boys like me? Nothing makes a sound in the night like the wind does But you ain't afraid if you're washed in the Cave Jasmine through the window screen John R. and the Wolfman kept me company By the light of the radio by my bed With Thomas Wolfe whispering in my head I can still hear the soft southern winds in the live old trees And those were William's boys I guess we're all gonna be what we're gonna be So what do you do with good old boys like me? When I was in school I ran with a kid down the street Watched him burn himself up on bourbon and speed But I was smarter than most and I could choose Learn to talk like the man on the six o'clock news When I was eighteen, Lord, I hit the road But it really doesn't matter how far I go I can still hear the soft southern winds in the live old trees And those Williams boys, they still mean a lot to me Hank in Tennessee, I guess we're all gonna be what we're gonna be So what?